Matthew chapter 2, are we there? Matthew chapter 2, let's read. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king... They went on their way, and behold, the star they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet Hosea. Out of Egypt, I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious and he sent And killed all the children, male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are. No more. So scary Christmas is the message title tonight. And I don't know where the idea came from. It might have had something to do with my daughter, Avalyn, watching Monsters, Inc. over and over. It might have something to do with being at Disneyland. And I think the haunted mansion is called Scary Christmas or something on it right now. I don't know where, but it came to my head that this would actually be very appropriate to look at Christmas from a less than cheery and merry angle this year. And the reason for that is because the news that we observe, and it typically is from afar for once, has been very close to us. And 
Uh, Mike shared with us the memorial we had here just yesterday. And if that isn't uh, a stark reality of what is going on in our own backyard, I don't know what will wake us up to it. And that right now on this mountain, we have not just the tragedy from the shootings, but we also have, uh, you know, a family that has lost a 13-year-old daughter. And I've also heard of a couple other events. And this is a time on the mountain where, really, this happens during Christmas? This is the season when we say peace on earth and goodwill toward men and glad tidings of great joy, as the angels told the shepherds. And we talk about Merry Christmas, and it almost sounds unfitting right now for the season, for the tone, for the spirit up here. That's the question that is raised right now is, is it really right now Merry Christmas? Can we say that to each other with integrity, with honesty? Can we share glad tidings? Can we say there's great joy? And can we, in all honesty, embrace the message of peace on earth, goodwill toward men when we're not witnessing peace on earth, nor goodwill from one man to another? So that's the question we ask, because what I see, what you see, what we see is not glad tidings. We see bad news. We're not hearing great joy. We're hearing a great lament, great sorrow. We don't relate right now to peace on earth. It feels more like we're yearning for peace on earth. But in the meantime, there's tons of violence on earth. And if anything, Merry Christmas sounds more accurately called Scary Christmas at this time. But fortunately, we have a passage in scripture that knows what we're feeling. It gets this. And I want us to look at two specific parts in the passage we just read. The first being in verse 13, the second being in verse 16. In verse 13, we saw the angel come to Joseph in a dream and tell him, Joseph, you and Mary need to get out right now because there is a very angry king on the throne. Herod is very mad and he wants to take this child's life. So Mary and Joseph do the proper thing. They pack up everything that they have, whatever they can, and they get out of there as fast as they can. And they go to Egypt where they speak another language. They eat different foods. They worship different gods and have a totally different currency. Very different life down there. And they have to just up and run and go. And we presently see, filtering the news, uh, the refugee crisis where we have people being displaced from Syria and on the run from their uh, fighting kings that can't get along in their civil war. And they're packing it up and they're hurrying and they're rushing and they're trying to find home. For them, it's not as easy as going to Egypt. It's going to Europe where many nations are saying, no, thank you. And they're considered a problem and a debate and we don't know what to do with them. Just herd them in here or there and Hungary is closing their borders. And ironically, Germany's opening theirs. All these things are going on. We see a refugee crisis. We see Jesus and Mary and Joseph. They know what it is to be refugees fleeing the hatred and terrorism of a tyrant. We also see in verse 16. 
Now, Herod, when he saw that this had happened, that they, uh, the wise men didn't clue him in on what was going on, he begins to slaughter the male babies in Bethlehem. And this is not just affecting Mary jo- and Joseph. This is affecting now every family in that town that has a male baby two years and under, which could have been quite a bit. And now we have what we can relate to as an act of terrorism Somebody who comes in and without reason or any sense at all behind it begins killing innocent people. And there is a huge lament being raised in Bethlehem. And this is the Christmas story. This is where you say, peace on earth, goodwill, cheers, joy to the world. Herod's killing people. And people are on the run. (laughs) Well, Matthew has something to say, I think. And what I see in this, and though we're not going to leave here uh, super depressed, there is hope in Scripture. Um, But what we see right off the bat is that the the, the way the Bible tells us about Christmas is that Christmas is not blind to the reality of the world. It's easy for us to forget that. Merry Christmas, all smiles, we're spending our extra money to buy presents for people who need nothing more. And we're going around and we, the only thing we have to complain about, it seems like, is they said happy holidays. They didn't say Merry Christmas. Like, so much going for us. And, and, and we talk about Christmas and we bring the cheer and it's all about the jolliness. And sometimes I know there are people that are going through a season right now and they think lies. This is false. It's a farce. It's a facade. All this joy to the world. Like, can we take what the Bible says about Christmas seriously? Because this is not the world I see. The reality of the world is we have people right now who are looking for home in the dead of winter in Europe. And Europe is not a warm place. Like here, it's cold. Do these people have the proper clothing and shelter? Are they able to eat enough while we're going to feast around our Christmas dinners, Thanksgiving part two? Is this really matching up in the world? This tells me that as often as we like to pick and choose the best themes of Christmas, the Bible isn't blind to the reality of our world. And it tells it like it is. And the very first Christmas was no easier than many other people's Christmas. But... Though it's not blind to the reality of the world, the story of Christmas here is birthing something new. It is birthing, if you will, an alternative world. It acknowledges on one hand, yep, the reality of the world is pretty grim. We're not blind to that. We're not going to ignore it. Here it is in all of its ugliness. Even Jesus went through it. But on the other hand, the Christmas story is also not just to identify with the fact that the world is really bad right now, but to say, hey, because of the birth of Jesus, we are now launching a new world. It's an alternative world. And it is coinciding with our present reality. We sometimes... I fear, as Christians, we, we believe so much in our hope and in our joy in Christ that we oversimplify the reality of what's going on. And we're over here and we're saying, huh, come on, everyone. Jesus is here. He's the reason for this season. Put a smile on your face. Turn that frown upside down. You're too blessed to be stressed. And we keep going and going with our cliches. 
And these people are here. Uh, I see the world very differently. Thank you very much. And it almost looks like we live in some sort of a fantasy that we're sort of pretending things aren't the way they are. We're ostriches with our heads buried in the gospel. Well, Matthew is doing both for us. Yes, there is an alternative world that's being launched, but it is alongside the reality right now of pain, suffering, bad news, not joy, but sorrow, not peace, but violence. So Matthew's doing both. It acknowledges, yes, the reality, but we're birthing an alternative world alongside. What is this alternative world? Is this alternative world legitimate? How do we know that Jesus is doing this? Matthew lays within for us two hints. And these hints, I think this will be very helpful for many of us because I've read this passage. How many times have you read this passage? Maybe every single Christmas plus whenever you feel like reading Matthew in your devotions. Um, There are references in this passage that kind of we're like, okay. It's cool because it's scripture and I got to reference it, but I really don't know why Matthew is quoting about Rachel crying. Who's Rachel and how does she fit in this story? So these are the hints that Matthew's going to give us. There are two citations, two quotations from the Old Testament in which he says, this happened to fulfill what was written in this scripture. So the first of these is Hosea chapter 11. You see this in verse 15. And remain there, Egypt, until the death of Herod. So Jesus, Mary, Joseph remained in Egypt till the death of Herod. Now this is what Matthew has to say about this whole thing. Why was Mary and Joseph and Jesus, why were they refugees going to Egypt, fleeing the terrorism of Herod? Why was all this going on? Why did they stay there until Herod died? Matthew tells us this was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, and if you have a margin in your Bible, it'll tell you this is Hosea chapter 11. Out of Egypt, I called my son. So that's what Hosea 11 says. Out of Egypt, I called my son. Hmm. And then the second one, Jeremiah chapter 31. And you see that one in verse uh, 17 and 18. So uh, Herod slaughters all the male babies in Bethlehem. 17 says, why did this happen? Why did Herod do this? Well, Matthew says, then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. Again, chapter 31. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. And it's equally confusing because you're thinking Ramah. Wasn't this Bethlehem? Rachel? She wasn't mentioned. And wasn't there more women than Rachel? So what we need to do now as good Bible readers, serious Bible readers, is we need to say, okay, what does Matthew know about Hosea chapter 11 that causes him to quote a verse from it in the middle of Jesus's refugee moment? And what does he know about Jeremiah 31 that we should know that causes him to quote a verse from that regarding the slaughter of babies in Bethlehem? And these again are going to be hints toward the alternative world that is being launched within and alongside the reality and depressing bad news, great sorrow, violence on earth world. 
So if you guys are daring with me, let us go briefly to your left, to Hosea, your left, to Hosea chapter 11. And then we will also go to Jeremiah 31. Hosea chapter 11. Uh, you find Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea. So you find Ezekiel, it's easy. You just keep going right to Daniel, and then you'll find Hosea. So Hosea chapter 11, this is what's going on. Read with me in verse 1. By the way, Hosea is the prophet writing to the northern kingdom of Israel who is about to be defeated by the Assyrian Empire. So he has lots of things to say about their coming doom. And he writes... When Israel was a child, I loved him. This is God speaking. And out of Egypt, I called my son. There's your Matthew quotation. So, of course, you guys know well the Exodus. Israel is enslaved in Egypt. God calls them his children, and he releases them out of Egypt. I called my son. They became his children. He became their father. He delivered them from Egypt. Now what happened though is in verse two, the more that they were called, the more they went away. Teenagers. They kept sacrificing to the Baals. Those are false gods and burning offerings to idols. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim, another name for Israel, to walk. I took them up by their arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of kindness, with the bands of love. I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaws, and I bent down to them and fed them. So God is being a good father here. He's parenting them. He's bringing them up. And then he is going to go on to say that they're not going to go to Egypt. Instead, they're going to go to Assyria. There's going to be this destruction. It's going to hurt because my people, verse 7, are bent on turning away from me. And though they call out to the Most High, he shall not raise them up at all. It's time. They've turned away from me for the last time. They're going to go through a little ordeal. But is God going to give up on them? No. In verse 8. How can I give up on you, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zeboim? Those are towns that got destroyed. My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. I will not execute my burning anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim. For I am God and not a man, the Holy One in your midst. And I will not come in wrath. So listen, Israel, I adopted you, called you out of Egypt, but you rebelled and rebelled, rebelled. Naturally, what's going to happen is that you keep running away from me. You're going to run yourself into disaster. It's going to happen. This big, mighty empire called Assyria is going to come and hurt you guys and spread you guys around and ruin your kingdom. And I'm going to be going there. Oh, oh, I can't just do nothing. So don't worry, Israel, it's going to happen, but I'm going to be there the whole time and I'm going to rescue you. That's what he's been saying, because I'm God and I'm not a man. I don't hold a grudge against you. So this is what's going to happen in the end. The resolution is right here. Verse 10. They shall go after the Lord. He will roar like a lion. When he roars like a lion, his children shall come trembling from the West. They shall come trembling like birds from Egypt and like doves from the land of Assyria. And I will return them to their homes, declares the Lord. 
So they're going to go through this ordeal, but I'm going to step in and I'm going to roar like a lion and they're going to hear my roar and they're all going to come together and gather around me as a king once again and they'll be home once again. So that's what Hosea 11 has to say. Matthew quotes this verse, which by the way, in uh, Bible language in old times, when you had, uh, when parchment was very expensive to write upon and papyrus was expensive and the whole writing process was expensive, you spared space. You didn't waste space. So what you would do is you would cite a famous verse or line from a passage and the readers who knew their scriptures, like Matthew's audience, the Jews who are reading his gospel, they would read that verse and their minds would instantly jump to Hosea and that whole thing we just went through together. They would know that. And they would say, okay, that's what Matthew's referring to. So what we see here is, yep, there are refugees Uh, There are people on the run. Jesus, Mary, and Joseph are on the run. The bad news in this is that Israel went through a lot of suffering. People today are going through a lot of suffering. But the good news is that God promised to roar and bring them home. And thus, out of Egypt, I called my son. If Jesus went out and then came back, he is only doing so to show us the way back to the Father. And what Hosea is doing, what Matthew, excuse me, is doing with Hosea, he says, then it was fulfilled. Um, What was fulfilled? That Israel was called out of Egypt? No, that happened so long ago in Exodus. That's not fulfilled. What's fulfilled to Matthew is the fact that he said God would roar like a lion and bring his people home. That's what's fulfilled. The promise that had not yet happened up to this point. Matthew saying in the birth of Jesus, all those refugees are finding home and they're coming home. He's bringing his people back together. In Jesus, there is an alternative world being born where people are finding their true home. While in reality, there are a bunch of people presently homeless. That's what Matthew is saying. So here is the despair, but here is the hope that is truly a reality in Jesus right now. That's the alternative story he's trying to tell. Jeremiah 31, if you will. It's a lot longer. We're not going to cover the whole chapter. It's massive. But we're going to just hit the part where Matthew quotes from. Jeremiah, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel. So Jeremiah is after Isaiah, which is after the Psalms. So in Jeremiah 31, verse 15, we read, the verse Matthew cites, then we're going to read something after it. So first, the despair, Jeremiah thirty-one fifteen. Thus says the Lord, a voice is heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel is weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted for her children because they are no more. Now, what does this mean in Jeremiah? Well, in Jeremiah... What he's saying is Ramah is this station that the Babylonians, when they came to beat up um, Jerusalem and take them all and exile them up to Babylon, when Babylon was coming down, they made Ramah one of their stations. And so as they sieged Jerusalem and took the city down and took hostages, many of the hostages were being carried with Babylon and they were making a stop in Ramah, their last stop before leaving Israel and going up to Babylon. So it was the last station before the mothers would see the last of their sons being exported to Babylon. 
And that's why there's a lot of lamentation and weeping because they're going to be no more. They're gone. And Rachel, of course, is being used as a matriarch for the children of Israel. So she's just becoming a symbol like you could use Sarah as well. So she's a symbol for all the mothers of Israel. They're all weeping and they're all saying, no, and they're gone, taken away from them because of the brutal terror and the violence and the war that Babylon brought upon Jerusalem. So that's what Jeremiah is saying. You see semi the connection there, why he's pulling from this. He's saying the great sorrow that Israel went through when Babylon attacked us is the same sorrow Bethlehem's going through when Herod attacked them. But there's more than just a comparison. So that's the despair. Here comes the hope in verse 16. Thus says the Lord. We're still in Jeremiah 31 to 16. Keep your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears. For there is a reward for your work, declares the Lord. And they shall come back from the land of the enemy. All of them you saw go, they shall come back one day. There is hope for your future, declares the Lord. And your children shall come back to their own country. That's the promise. That's the hope. And now maybe even more shocking for some of you is the end of Jeremiah 31, same chapter, same thread of thought, same context, is this. 31, Jeremiah 31, 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the old one that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them out by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. So he brought them out of Egypt, like Hosea said too. I brought them out of Egypt, and like Hosea said, they turned away. Jeremiah's way of saying this is they broke my covenant. And so he's now saying in verse 33, but there's going to be a new one, right? So, but this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. In other words, the future where there's going to be a hope after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, not outside where they follow some list of do, 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 and don't, don't, don't. But within them will be my law and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall everyone teach their neighbor saying, know the Lord for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest because he's going to be within them. And then he says their sin or their iniquity, I will remember no more. I'll forgive their iniquity. I'll remember their sin no more. That's the hope. So in the midst of this terrible moment where Jeremiah is seeing Babylon coming and taking all the young, promising young men to Babylon and the mothers looking at them for the last time, weeping and bawling their eyes out. Jeremiah is saying, but wait a minute. There is hope. There's a future and a hope. And one day they're going to be home again. And better yet, this covenant you broke with God, he's going to come and make a newer and better covenant. <clears throat> So, Matthew, when he says, then was fulfilled what was spoken of by the prophet Jeremiah, he is not saying that verse 18, where Rachel's weeping and the mothers are weeping because their children are gone. He's not saying that's fulfilled. That was already fulfilled when Babylon came to Jerusalem and took the children from their mothers. That happened in the past. Matthew is saying that what is fulfilled is the hope in which this verse comes out of the context of this verse, that God is saying there is a hope and a future 
future for you. I will return. I will restore you. And I will make a new covenant with you in which I will forgive your iniquities and remember your sins no more. And there will be harmony and restoration. Everyone will know me. That is the hope, the alternative world that Matthew says was fulfilled by Herod's attacking the kids. Why? Because the one to bring this new covenant and this new hope is born and he got away. This is what Matthew's doing. On one hand, he's recognizing the reality of the world. But on the other hand, he's throwing in these hints that a new world is being birthed right now. It might look very small and like a little baby, but it's going to grow. And there will be followers. And then there will be more followers. And this movement's going to keep going. And one day, this king who leads these people, who was once a baby, is going to come back. And he is going to rule the world. This is what Matthew is saying when he says, this was fulfilled, this was fulfilled. Hosea, this was fulfilled, that God will roar and bring all of the refugees home, spiritually and physically. This is fulfilled, Jeremiah, that God will bring his new covenant and he will forgive sins. This is the alternative world. So, on one hand, we look at the world and we say, it's a scary Christmas It's not glad tidings. It's bad news. It is not great joy. It is great sorrow. It is not peace on earth. It is violence on earth. But then Matthew comes along and says, yes, but ever so subtly under the radar, subversively, ever so small, like a little seed being thrown out on the ground and slowly sprouting into fruit. There's an alternative world that has begun. And it does have glad tidings of great joy that is for all the people with peace on earth and goodwill toward men. We, however, side with this because it sounds awesome, but we totally relate to this reality of the world because this is what we see and feel. By faith, we accept the Christmas story, but in reality, we feel something so against it. Especially, again, right now. So we, especially as Christians, are those who live somewhere between these two worlds. We are in and part of the reality of this brutal world, but we are hoping and longing and somewhat experiencing within our community this promised new coming world. And we're living in between the two And we're feeling a tension between the two worlds as they're rubbing shoulders. And here's the reality. The new alternative world is God's world. This is heaven. This is where Jesus reigns, where God reigns, where love, joy, peace, unity, and all the fruits of the spirit. They are there in abundance. And this world is not shrinking. It's growing and it's moving. And it is actually edging its way into our present reality right now. And as it is expanding and it's edging and it's elbowing its way in, we're feeling the rub. And the rest of the world is feeling a little squeezed. And the men and the humans that are here are saying, we're in rebellion. We want to be our own kings and gods. They're looking at this invading kingdom and saying, there ain't room for the two of us. And so people, when they feel the tension, they're forced to retreat to what they know. I feel threatened by this king and I want to retreat to what I know. And they pick up the weapons of their current world which we know is bad news, great sorrow, and violence on earth. And this is what we have going on. We have an invasion, starting with the birth of Jesus, the birth of a new world comes, and like any birth, there are labor pains that are going to grow more and more intense as heaven invades earth more and more, and the friction rubs harder and harder. 
the tension is felt and people get amped up. And that's where we are right now. We are on the threshold of a battle, if you will. And we are seeing the world in revolt. And we're seeing a king who calmly says, I know it hurts right now. I know this is awful, but hold on, people. Hold on. Start picking up this alternative story, this alternative world, and start living by its weapons and put down the bad news, the sorrow and the violence. You don't have to be part of this one. You don't have to feel like you're being squeezed out because here in the birth of a baby in the manger, in a stable under the star, here is the beginning of a new world. And the only way to feel like you're not being edged out of this current reality and feeling threatened is to finally surrender, to give up, to fall on your knees and to come in adoration to the child. And that's the way to say, yes, there is a new alternative world. I don't have to stick with this story. I can adopt this one and live in this world, even now while it's invading It would be wise to do so (laughs) because heaven isn't stopping until it absorbs the whole world. That's what we read in revelation. The dwelling place of God is now with men and the whole entire planet is consumed with his knowledge. Isaiah promises that the knowledge of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. You don't need to be a rocket scientist to understand that water covers a hundred percent of the sea. And so will the knowledge of the Lord. But people feel it. They know it. There's pressure. And so some are joining. They're falling on their knees. They're bringing their adoration, their worship. But others are holding on tighter with more angst, with more anger. So what I want to encourage us this Christmas is to realize why we're feeling the sorrow as you have heard, but to not lose sight of the hope we have and to be in this moment. We're right now at the crossroads of a decision where we can either say, I don't like the invasion and you pick up your weapons or you say, I like what the wise men did and entered this new world. They followed the star. What I love about this picture of them following the star is that the stars only shine when it is completely dark out. And as it is getting darker and darker, and as we are in a very dark season, that star is shining more clearly than ever, giving us guidance and showing us the way to the new alternative world that we can participate in right now. And this is the way, the star, following this star is the way toward worship, adoration, surrender, and falling on our knees and leaving behind us this old story of bad news, great sorrow, and violence on earth. And moving into Merry Christmas, glad tidings, great joy for all people, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. And this star, although maybe once the wise men followed some astronomer, astrological phenomenon all this time i struggle here (laughs) though they might have once followed that right now we know who our star is and we're told in scripture that jesus is the bright and morning star not the evening star nothing's we're not going towards something that's going to end we're going to something that's starting
the bright and morning star. This is the hope, and this is where we follow. This is where we go. So the way to a merrier Christmas, despite feeling the angst and despite living in the scariness, despite there being refugees and terrorism, the way toward a merrier Christmas in the night, in the blackness, in the dark, in the hurt, is simply by keeping our eye on the star and saying, I will go where you go, even if it takes me to the humbling place of bowing before a baby. And as Jesus had to grow up, so is his kingdom. It's growing up. It may not feel impressive all the time, but we grow with it. Jesus talked about the seed. It grows and all growth comes with pain. We cannot say this isn't real just because there's pain today. The pain today is only guaranteeing that the friction and the tension is getting stronger and that eventually one is going to win. And if I trust scripture, if you trust scripture like I do, shouldn't be a doubt, I do. <laughs> if you trust scripture like I do, you know who wins. So let's enter into some worship. Let's adore. And let's move towards a Merry Christmas where, yes, there's bad news, there's great sorrow, there's violence on earth. But we do know, too, that by following the star, there is definitely good tidings of great joy with peace on earth. And that's how we can, with integrity, hold on to a Merry Christmas. So Merry Christmas.